Join us and 1,200 plus other investors at the premier event for commercial real estate pros at the 2024 Best Ever Conference in Salt Lake City, Utah. Get exclusive economic insights from top industry economists, learn actionable strategies to scale your business, expand your network, and discover new investment opportunities. Use our exclusive promo code SPBEC24 to save 10% on your ticket. Visit www.besteverconference.com to learn more. Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and today our guest is Bikran Sandhu. And Bikran is the COO, CFO, and co-founder of Rise48 Equity and Rise48 Communities. His main responsibilities as COO is overseeing underwriting the asset management and invest relations for all the assets. His responsibilities as CFO include overseeing accounting, finance, and treasury. His professional background is in audit and assurance services, where he worked at PwC and audited Fortune 100 companies, as well as pre-IPO companies. So Bikran, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Thank you, Eileen. Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you. So can you start off by sharing a little bit more about your background and how you got started with real estate? Of course. Yeah, no, happy to. So yeah, when I first left college, I essentially moved into public auditing. So I worked at big audit firms like PwC and Grant Thornton. And the main purpose of that was kind of to build networking relationships with my coworkers, as well as understand the finance and accounting aspects of things when it comes to running a business. So I didn't really know anything about finance or accounting when I left college. Going in the first four years of my career, that kind of really helped me understand how back offices really work, how companies look at their financial statements and how stakeholders who have stakes in the company look at the finances. Throughout my career in audit, I always saw it as like kind of looking in the rear view mirror of what happened last year, just to make sure that whatever is being reported out is accurate. And I always had this itch to kind of look forward. So I wanted to see how I can get into like management consulting, where I can help companies buy companies, sell divisions, implement controls, and make sure that they were successful in their transactions. So after about four years in the auditing world, I moved into management consulting. And that was really very helpful. In addition to just looking at the past of how companies were running, I was able to kind of help management figure out how to appropriately integrate different companies or do software implementations, small things here and there that most people just kind of overlook or just kind of say, okay, well, we're going to move from one place to another. But I was able to kind of get that experience. And throughout my career, I had a couple of small real estate clients that were primarily focused on distressed assets or real estate, like commercial real estate in general. And I kind of piqued my interest on how they essentially made money. So towards the tail end of my career at management consulting, I spent about four years there. I started looking into just buying real estate myself. And I used to live in California at the 
time with my wife in California, as you may know, Eileen, it's mostly fix and flips. Not going to buy a hundred, two hundred, three hundred, you know, apartment building out there. Cash flow is non-existent. It's mostly active income. And in order for me to get into real estate in California, I'd have to essentially give up my W two job because I'd have to be doing this full time. So I'm a CPA, so I didn't want to take that risk out there. But at the end of the day, I also wanted to get into real estate. So. I ran some analytics with my wife and figured that, hey, one day we do want to have enough passive income to kind of offset our W-2 income so that we're not tied to the job and making sure that we don't live paycheck to paycheck. So we started to look into different types of real estate and ultimately decided, hey, multifamily is where it makes sense. And even if I run a thousand scenarios every single time I end up at multifamily, so why not just start there? So in late 2017, 2018, we started researching and kind of reading books about multifamily. And in late 2018, we joined a mentorship group. And then we met Zach Haptasol and Robert Shevchik, who are my current partners. And then we bought our very first deal in February of 2019. Since then, we've closed on 42 additional assets. So we bought 43 assets in total. We've sold 11 properties in total as well. And we always tell investors that we have a five-year horizon in our hold period. So don't assume like a quick fix and flip. In general, we try to essentially exit the deals as fast as possible after implementing our business plan. But currently we have about 32 assets under management and we're continuing to grow in the Phoenix and Dallas markets. That is quite a journey, especially in the last four years. <laughs> yeah. No, in 2019 and 2020, we were working full time and doing this as like a side gig. And Zach, Robert and I used to get on phone calls in the middle of the night, like 6 p.m. to like 10 p.m., 11 p.m. every single day, just because we all had day jobs and thought, okay, well, if we can accomplish and buy deals just working four to five hours a day, what can we do if we unlock the entire day, right? So in beginning of 2021, my wife and I moved out to Arizona. I quit my day job. Now I don't have kids. I don't have a family I have to take care of. So we thought it's a great time to take a risk and try to see if it works out. That way, 30 years from now, I can look back and say, okay, well, this was a good decision or a bad decision, but I didn't want to look back and say, okay, well, what if I had done this or not? So we moved out here in April of 2021 and we just went full-time into real estate. We knew the market was hot and we wanted to make sure that we could make a name for ourselves and get our investors alongside us to make sure that we could get some good returns for them. I remember I had a conversation. I met Zach back in 2020, I think mid-2020. And at that time, you guys had already done a couple of deals, but you're starting to that growth phase. And now looking at the trajectory of where Rise48 has gone since then, it's incredible what you guys have been able to accomplish and what you've been able to do. So hats off to you guys. Kudos. Congratulations to all that success. No, thank you so much. We've definitely been very fortunate. And it's it's kudos to Zach. He builds great relationships with the brokerage community. And in 2020, when COVID hit, everybody was kind of just, hey, let's just wait out and see what happens. And during the entire time, we were building relationships with the brokerage community, with the investor community, so that we knew when the opportunity was there, we were going to strike. So we were fortunate and blessed to do what we were. And and then wouldn't have happened without Zach, Robert, and myself just kind of going to this deals together. Especially the early stages, you guys had been heavily focused in the Arizona market, really grown out and expanded that market, um, purchased a lot of properties. So now, how far along are you looking in getting into the Dallas, Texas markets now? And what shifted you to shift the focus from more of the Arizona market to now Dallas? 
Yeah, if like Zach and I have different answers on Zach's end, he's kind of running most of our capital relationships. So what he hears from investors is they have a lot of concentration in Phoenix and they'd love what we do in Phoenix and they wanted us to essentially expand out. So it's been in the works for a while. So we started looking into expanding out to Dallas in November of 2021 or 2022, excuse me, bought our first deal there in February of 2023 or closed on the first deal there. And on my end, I've always wanted to make sure that before we expanded out to any market, we had our company essentially built out for success. So currently we are the equity company where we're buying and selling deals. We are vertically integrated with our property management division and then our also our construction management division, meaning that we handle all the operations and the business plan execution in-house. And what we wanted to do was get to a good spot in that integration and, and making sure that we have total control over the assets before we decided to jump ship and go into other markets. So in late 2022, we were in a good position to essentially do that. So if we wanted to go into a different market, we would manage our own assets. We would do all the construction management in-house as opposed to hiring third parties to do one thing or another. Or when we started buying deals in Dallas, we opened up an office there. We hired a regional property director. Our construction manager moved out there. So we had all the pieces in place before we ever even bought our first deal. So we were incurring lease expense, salaries, overhead before we ever had any deal out there. We want to do it that way because we believe in investing in infrastructure. So even right now, I would say like Dallas Division is not profitable just because we only have like four assets out there in total. But our goal is to buy two to 3,000 units out there, let it kind of stand on its own, and then kind of revisit focuses on strategy. But right now, our strategy has been we're going to hit Dallas hard and then try to buy at least two to 3,000 units over the next six to 12 months, and then kind of look back and see, okay, well, does it make sense to maybe restart buying in Phoenix or buy more deals in Phoenix or continue focusing on Dallas? Dallas is a great market. We always look at job growth and population growth as our number one and number two things to look at when we enter a different market. Phoenix has always been great and it's still really great with the job growth and the population growth you see out here. And Dallas is right there as well. So we like the two markets and we knew it was just going to be a moment in time where we're going to start buying in Dallas. What does it take to scale the business as quickly as Rise 48 has over the last couple of years? A lot of blood, sweat and tears. (laughs) (laughs) Not just yours, right? (laughs) Not just mine. No, at the beginning, it was like Zach, Robert and myself and Zach's wife, Grace and my wife, Alice, that were doing all this. We never thought we would get to where we are today. We have over 230 employees at the company. Again, 43, almost 44 assets we've acquired to date. And, you know, at the beginning, I read a book called The E-Myth. I forgot the author's name, but basically in that book, he talked about how you need to structure or envision a structure for your company today, as opposed to five years down the road. So I created kind of like a sample org chart and saw, okay, well, in transactions, Zach leads the way is a transactions manager acquisitions manager, capital raising manager. So creating these different boxes and kind of putting his name there. And then on the investor relations side, I was running asset management, investor relations, operational management. So I was putting my name in those situations. So basically what we did was kind of create a skeleton crew of just the five of us and slowly started hiring people kind of take over those different roles that were taking up our time and away from buying more deals and raising more capital. So at the beginning, we never thought we get this big, but it took a lot of dedication for sure. And trust in each one of us to make sure that the other person knew what they were doing. And it's paid off really well so far. So I would say it's definitely been a good trajectory. 
When you're moving and expanding into the Dallas market, how are you competing against the other operators and sponsors who've already established themselves within the market coming in as new operators into Dallas? We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. Yeah, great question. So just in multifamily alone, we have primarily like five or six brokers that kind of control the entire community of multifamily. So we have uh, specific brokers in Phoenix and in Dallas that have head offices in both locations. Like CBRE, for instance, has an office here and has an office in Dallas. Same with, you know, North Marks and Millichap, Arcadia. So what we try to do is Zach did a great job of the past four years establishing those relationships in Phoenix. So when we were ready to kind of expand out to Dallas, Zach essentially reached out to the broker community here and said, hey, can you please connect us to the counterparts in Dallas? So they made good introductions for us in Dallas, and they were able to kind of vet our track record here. And by the time, you know, we weren't a small fish in, in Phoenix, you know, we were one of the biggest buyers uh, over the past five years. And it was just kind of a matter of time to kind of reaching out to them. So when we reached out, they'd already kind of heard about us a little bit. So we went out there and essentially met with them in person on Northmark and Newmark, and essentially told them, hey, this is our buying strategy. It's value add 80s multifamily. We position these assets within two to five years. It's a tried and true story. We're not coming in and changing the game in any way. And we know that you have a lot of product out here for that specific type of strategy. So this is our business plan. This is our track record across the assets we've done in Phoenix. We just want to replicate that strategy here in Dallas as well. So we kind of instantly had you know a vetted track record for these brokers. And we were able to kind of utilize the success we had in Phoenix to kind of start replicating that in Dallas as well. So we didn't have a lot of trouble essentially getting these brokers on board to make sure that we were getting the right deals in front of us for potential acquisitions. So the Phoenix office, are you modeling the Texas office the same way that you're modeling the Phoenix office in terms of the vertical integration, the types of team members that will be housed at in the Texas market area so you're able to do similar types of things? Yeah, yeah. So we're looking at it from a perspective of, you know, where the department heads would sit. So in in Phoenix, we really have all the accounting, finance and investor relations out here. What we don't want to do is have two separate departments where like you have an investor relations for Phoenix and an investor relations for Texas. So we were trying to make sure that all of the, I guess, back office happens out in Phoenix. And then in Dallas, we're kind of hiring staff that are serving the properties directly. So we have, for instance, Paige, who's our marketing coordinator. She's overseeing properties in Dallas because she needs to be on site. Sometimes we have John, who's our, our sorry, IT coordinator out there. He's overseeing IT-related issues, properties out there, but they report up to the department heads here in Phoenix so that you know we have a consolidated command for, for operations. 
wins, and then we can kind of replicate that strategy across different markets when we expand. What does it take to continue to grow out and build the business to be successful in this new market? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, keeping your eye on the ball is definitely very important. There's a lot of distractions that can get you in trouble really quick in terms of buying deals. You can start getting into like turf wars or something with other operators. But I think the biggest thing is we need to focus on your own strategy and you need to focus on your growth plans in, in different markets. So we've always done 80s value add, 90s value add in Phoenix. And that's the strategy we're moving into Dallas with. We're not send, We're not going out to investors and saying, hey, you know, in Dallas, we're going to do hotel conversions or office conversions. Nope, we're going to do the same thing that we do in Phoenix. We've been successful with that. And we think it's a good strategy. And we're going to do the same thing in Dallas. So it's the same base plan. It's just the location is different. How do you see the real estate market across both the Phoenix markets and the Dallas markets? Where do you see that going from here on out? Yeah. So right now we're downturn essentially for apartment buildings and CRE in general or commercial real estate in general. You probably see an article every single day in, in the Wall Street Journal talking about it. Uh, but uh, I think, you know, Phoenix is kind of almost like a boomer bust type of market where you have significant amount of rental growth in specific years. And then you have kind of like a busted market where its rent growth is down four or 5%. So in last two years, Phoenix rent growth was around 15 to 20% per year. And then it's down 5% this year. Well, if you average it out, it's definitely still miles ahead of where it was three, four years ago. In Dallas, it's kind of like a market where rents don't significantly increase. They don't significantly decrease. It just kind of stays on course. So if you look at the past 20 years of data, you know, on average, Phoenix rents have grown at about about 6% a year. Dallas, I believe it's around 5% a year. So they're both great markets to be in. And as long as you know the job growth continues to happen and the population growth continues to happen, I think they're great, great markets to be in for, for the long term. But it's hard to see long term when you're kind of in like a downturn area or downturn timeframe. I think over the next 12, 12 to 18 months, you'll see a little bit more of a correction happening with, with, the, with the market itself. But after that, I think it's it should be a good market to be in in both markets. Markets, frankly. Did you have to change a little bit of how you underwrite and the strategies you're implementing in order to prepare for a downturn and incorporate different strategies that you might not have had to do in the past couple of years? Yeah, no, for sure. In our underwriting model, and you may be aware of this, Eileen, like you have your regular escalators for market growth, uh, rental growth, expense growth, et cetera. When you're in a very booming economy, you have to be very careful and not trying to uh, expect significant rental growths every single year for five years, right? So when we underwrote deals in, in 2021, 2022, and even 2020, uh, we were always underwriting a pretty conservative rental growth rate where we weren't expecting a 20 percent rental growth year over year. That didn't make sense, but it's really hard to stick to that when you're losing deals by the millions. So, um, you know, we've always kind of stayed very conservative in our rental growth. And when you're in a down market, you know, we try to put pair back even more on the growth rates that we implement. And then just from an expense perspective, you've seen expenses in multifamily kind of go up pretty significantly. A great example is payroll expense. When we were underwriting deals in 2019, in our first deal that we underwrote, I think our payroll expense was like 
$800 a door. And right now we're underwriting close to $1,400 to $1,500 a door. That's only been in four years, right? So you have to be careful in, in your considerations, uh, especially for expense estimates and, and rental growth estimates. And, uh, you know, we'll adjust it year by year, depending on what's more realistic or not realistic. But we've always been pretty conservative in that regard. And we've always raised, in addition to just raising just the capital for the closing costs and the down payment, we also always reserved at the property level so that interest rates did shoot up pretty significantly like they did past year, or you're in a down market where the rents aren't going to increase pretty significantly. You have a cushion there to utilize essentially to make sure that you're not going to get caught with no liquidity in the bank. So we've always underwrote pretty significant reserves in our properties. And we try to be as conservative as possible when we start with distributions, because we don't want to end up with no liquidity in the bank when we work on these assets. You typically have like a rule of thumb for the amount of reserves that you have across the properties? Yeah, typically when we're uh, closing on deals, we try to aim for around 10 to 15% of the total liquidity, total equity that we're raising. So if we're raising, for example, $20 million on a deal, we'll try to hold around 2 to $3 million in just liquid capital at the property's bank account. And we got a lot of flack for that back in 2021, 2022, when the market was doing really well, saying like, hey, you're diluting investor returns. It doesn't make sense. You could have potentially bought more deals here or there. But we always told everybody like, hey, this is how we underwrite. We just want to make sure we don't get caught in a situation where we have to sell a deal or we have to sell a deal at a loss or refinance and do a cash in refinance. So we try to be as conservative as possible. But, uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it's just, uh, it's just how we underwrite and how we look at these assets. So it's paying off really well now, because we don't have to do any capital calls, or do any sort of like capital injections in these deals. Back in 2020, 2021, we were, we were definitely catching a lot of slack for that. So Bikran, how has real estate investing impacted your life? Yeah, it's a great question. So on my end, knowing that Zach, Robert, and I kind of run our own company together is very important for me. I do tend to be very aggressively motivated and kind of pour myself into my work. And knowing that those rewards for putting that work in is going to be directly benefiting me are, are definitely very important for me. And just having the time of day to kind of be with my wife or see my family is definitely very important as well. And it's not to say that I didn't get a chance to do that. But I just hated the idea of like having PTO. I don't know, for some reason, I hated the fact that I had to accrue PTO to be able to take two, three days off. Like, And that's one of the things that we offer at our company is unlimited PTO. So if for our employees, we try to make sure that they don't have to worry about, you know, take it like working for 40 hours to get four hours of PTO or something. It's unlimited. Don't abuse it, but it's unlimited for you. And if you need to take a week off or something, you can. You don't have to worry about your accrual balance going negative or something. So it's a small thing, but spending time with family and friends and my wife is definitely very important for me. And since we started the company, that's I've been able to kind of expand on being able to do that. And if there's one thing that you wish you knew when you first started within real estate, what would that be? Yeah, I think the biggest thing I would say that's most important is, you know, taking a chance and taking a risk is definitely very important, especially when you're building a business. And if I could, would have started sooner uh, if I had just educated myself. But, you know, my entire life, my education was really focused on how to get a W-2 job. And that was it. It wasn't anything related to how to start a business or what type of businesses exist. So if I could go back and go back to college, I would definitely take more courses on real estate, more courses on finance and accounting, as opposed to just accounting and kind of learning my way over. I think definitely would have propelled us much further than we are now. And then what is the one thing that sets successful people apart in real estate investing? 
I think dedication and being able to be there when other people can't be. So like one prime example is we we bought a deal in April of 2021. Uh, it was called Rise on Peoria. And, uh, you know, the seller was needed to sell the deal. They wanted to get it under contract and sold right away because they had a 1031 waiting. Well, the broker reached out to us. We toured it, underwrote it, did the comps, everything within 48 hours, essentially put in an offer and got the deal in a contract within a week. And, you know, <laughs> looking back, uh, I was looking at the underwriting and I was like, well, I can offer a million more if I need to, like, should we do that? And Zach and I were just looking at saying, okay, well, if they only want this price, let's just offer there, see what happens. They took the price. Ultimately, that deal we sold in April of 2022, and it was a great return for our investors. But, uh, you know, just having the opportunity just to sit there and say, okay, well, this is what we're going to do. And at the moment a deal comes on, we're going to be dedicated to that deal and be available to strike if we, if possible. I think that really opened up a lot of doors for us in our careers. So Pickering, where can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing? Yeah, great question. So to find out more about Rise 48 Equity and myself, you can always visit rise48equity.com. Our webpage, rise48equity.com slash invest. You can schedule a call with Zach, Robert, Rob, or myself, and we can get on a call and talk about how we do our deals, what type of deals we do, and how investors can essentially get in touch. Awesome. Well, Vikran, thank you so much for all of your time today. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course, Eileen. Thanks so much for having me. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, Check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Sale and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.